0: timothy putnam and i'll be your host for the next hour each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls it's been a busy week this week it's just kind of flown by part of that's the long weekend we had last weekend so the week was shorter because monday was still part of our day off right uh, so for me it was a very busy weekend. We had a, our pre-cana, uh, which is a marriage preparation class that goes from nine a.m. to four p.m. So my wife and I ran that class, uh, and then finished up and drove down, sprinted down to Dallas uh, for my dad's birthday. Uh, we uh, had all my my both my brothers, and they each have six kids, and so we had all the cousins, uh, playing in a very small pool, uh, having strawberry homemade ice cream because there's nothing. Better than strawberry homemade ice cream, with the exception of Bluebell, which has not made its way quite yet back to my grocery store, something that makes me very sad indeed. But if you can't have Bluebell, at least you can have strawberry homemade ice cream. Uh, and then, of course, the Moto Proprio was released on Tuesday, right in time to get back to work. Uh, the Moto Proprio dealing with uh, a streamlining of the annulment process. So we're going to talk about that today. Not so much the motu proprio, although we might mention it a little bit, but what, what is an annulment? That seems to be something that a lot of people don't really get. Uh, they don't completely understand uh, what it is, and they don't understand some of the nuances behind it. So the, the, the motu proprio that was released doesn't change anything about our doctrine of marriage. Uh, it just changes some of the, the practical, legal, canon law, legal ways that we approach the annulment, uh, but it, the, or more, uh, more accurately stated, the Declaration of Nullity. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about an annulment today, what it is, what it isn't, uh, and maybe clear up some of that confusion. Now, I'm very excited because Jimmy Aiken is going to be on the show to help us walk our way through that topic. But as always, let's start our time together in prayer, in Scripture, and with a reading from church history. Everyone who waits for the Lord finds joy. Now we pray to him, look on us with favor, Lord, and hear us. Faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, you washed away our sins in your blood. Make us always remember your wonderful works. You called men to be heralds of your good news. Make them strong and faithful messengers of your kingdom. King of peace, send your spirit on the leaders of the world. Turn their eyes toward the poor and the suffering. Protect and defend those who are discriminated against because of race, color, class, language, or religion, that they may be accorded the rights and dignity which are theirs. May all who died in your love share in your happiness with Mary, our Mother, and all your holy ones. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth and as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Almighty God, creator and guide, may we serve you with all our heart and know your forgiveness in our lives. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading comes from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Beloved, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of these I am the foremost. But for that reason I was mercifully treated, so that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display all his patience as an example for those who would come to believe in him for everlasting life. To the King of Ages, incorruptible, invisible, the only God, honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from the book of First Timothy, chapter 1. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 113. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Praise, you servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord both now and forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. From the rising to the setting of the sun is the name of the Lord to be praised. High above all nations is the Lord. Above the heavens is his glory. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Who is like the Lord our God, and looks upon the heavens and the earth below? He raises up the lowly from the dust. From the dunghill he lifts up the poor. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Today's gospel comes from the gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Jesus said to his disciples, A good tree does not bear rotten fruit, nor does a rotten tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For people do not pick figs from thorn bushes, nor do they gather grapes from brambles. A good person, out of the store of goodness in his heart, Produces good, but an evil person out of a store of evil produces evil. For from the fullness of the heart the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I command? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, listens to my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the river burst against the house, but could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who listens and does not act is like a person who built a house on the ground without a foundation. But when the river burst against it, it collapsed at once and was completely destroyed. That gospel comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 6. You know, this is something that that I look at as really one of the purposes for this show is to look at what are the things that we're given in Scripture, in church history, in the doctrine of the church. What are those things, those words that we've heard? Uh, and not only what are the words, but then what are the implications of those words? How can we put those words into practice? You know, it's one thing to hear Scripture. It's another thing to hear it and let it sink into our soul and to apply it to our lives. And when we apply the words of Scripture, when we apply the words of God, when we apply the words of tradition that uphold the truth of Scripture, when we apply these things to our lives and the way that we live, uh, then there's there's a, an integrity, a continuity between what we profess and what we live out. Right Out of the fullness of the heart, Christ said in the Gospel of Luke, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we guard our we guard our words. We say, what, what am I cultivating in my heart? What's the nature that I'm feeding? Uh, and what's going to come out? Is it vice going to come out or is virtue going to come out? Uh, are those things that are right and good and true going to come out? Or is it going to sound uh, petty? Is it going to sound harsh? Is it going to... Wh- what are the ways that I interact with the world? Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when we have our foundation on Christ, given through the words of the church, through the doctrines of the church, when we have centered our lives on Christ, we're able to withstand uh, the temptations, the difficulties, the, 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 all of the rough aspects of life that come against us. We're able to stand up because we have a foundation that can't be shaken. We'll get into that a little bit more uh, in this reading from Church History. This is from St. Augustine, uh, and it is a a sermon on pastors, but I think it applies to us all. You have already been told about the wicked things shepherds desire. Now, let us consider what they neglect. You have failed to strengthen what was weak, to heal what was sick, and to bind up what was injured, that is, what was broken, You did not call back the straying sheep, nor seek out the lost. What was strong, you have destroyed. Yes, you have cut it down and killed it. The sheep is weak. That is to say, its heart is weak. And so, incautious and unprepared, it may give in to temptations. The negligent shepherd fails to say to the believer, My son, come to the service of God. Stand fast in fear and in righteousness, and prepare your soul for temptation. A shepherd who does say this strengthens the one who is weak and makes him strong. Such a believer will then not hope for the prosperity of this world, for if he has been taught to hope for worldly gain, he will be corrupted by prosperity. When adversity comes, he will be wounded or perhaps destroyed. The builder who builds in such a manner is not building the believer on a rock, but upon sand. But the rock was Christ. Christians must imitate Christ's sufferings, not set their hearts on pleasures. He who is weak will be strengthened when told, Yes, expect the temptations of this world, but the Lord will deliver you from them all if your heart has not abandoned Him. For it was to strengthen your heart that He came to suffer and die, came to be spit upon and crowned with thorns, came to be accused of shameful things, yes, came to be fastened to the wood of the cross. All these things he did for you, and you did nothing. He did them not for himself, but for you. But what sort of shepherds are they, who for fear of giving offense, not only fail to prepare the sheep for the temptations that threaten, but even promise them worldly happiness? God himself made so much promise to this world. On the contrary, God foretold hardship upon hardship in this world until the end of time. And you want the Christian to be exempt from these troubles? Precisely because he is a Christian, he is destined to suffer more in this world. For the Apostle says, All who desire to live a holy life in Christ will suffer persecution. But you, shepherd, seek what is yours and not what is Christ's. You disregard what the Apostle says. All who want to live a holy life in Christ will suffer persecution. You say instead, If you live a holy life in Christ, all good things will be yours in abundance. If you do not have children, you will embrace and nourish all men, and none of them shall die. Is this the way to build up a believer? Take note of what you are doing and where you are placing him. You have built him on sand. The rains will come, the river will overflow and rush in, the winds will blow and the elements will dash against that house of yours. It will fall, and its ruin will be great. Lift him up from the sand and put him on the rock. Let him be in Christ, if you wish him to be a Christian. Let him turn his thoughts to sufferings, however unworthy they may be in comparison to Christ's. Let him center his attention on Christ who was without sin, and yet made restitution for what he had not done. Let him consider Scripture, which says to him, He chastises every son whom he acknowledges. Let him prepare to be chastised or else not seek to be acknowledged as a son. That reading comes from St. Augustine, from a homily to pastors. And it's a challenging reading because none of us wants to experience pain. None of us wants to experience chastisement, much less to have it be considered a... um, a foregone conclusion, right? We want to avoid that if at all possible. And yet here we're being told to prepare for it. And why? Why are we told to prepare for it? Why should our shepherds tell us to prepare for this chastisement? So that when it comes, and it inevitably will, uh, that we don't lose heart, that we're able to stand up against temptations because we were prepared for the temptations, because we're able to stand up against, uh, against correction, because we were prepared for the correction, and not just left to our own devices, not left to think, hey, if I just pray this prayer, everything will magically get better. But that's not the way that God works. He doesn't remove us from any chance that we'd experience pain because it's through pain that we grow. It's through adversity that we grow in holiness. And so he won't remove that from us. What he does instead, which is far better, is that he walks with us through those difficult times in life. Well, when we come back from this break, we're going to be talking with Jimmy Aiken, senior apologist with Catholic Answers, and we're going to be talking about the annulment process. So we'll talk about the indissolubility of marriage, about the annulment process, and about what Pope Francis' most recent motu proprio uh, did, what it affected, how it changed that process, all that and much more on the other side of the break. We're going to be giving away Jimmy's book, the fathers know best looking at several topics and questions of the church through the eyes of the church fathers you're going to want to stick around you're listening to outside the walls with timothy putnam Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you stuck through the break. We've got a great show today. Uh, We're going to be talking, as I said in the last segment, we're going to be talking today about the proprio regarding the annulment process. And annulment is, uh, the the whole process is a question that a lot of people have, Uh, both Catholics and non-Catholics. They don't really get the nuance of what this is. And so today on our show, we have Jimmy Aiken. Jimmy Aiken is an internationally known author and speaker. He's the senior apologist at Catholic Answers, uh, and he has more than 20 years of experience defending and explaining the faith. Jimmy, like myself, is a convert to the faith and has extensive background in the Bible and theology, the church fathers. So, of course, you know that fits very well with this show, uh, philosophy, and specifically for the purpose of today's show, canon law. Uh, And so, Jimmy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Now, Jimmy, you are kind of the the rock that I look to. When everyone else in the media is going crazy or being very reactionary, I always know, you know what, everyone's being reactionary. So in a matter of a day, I know that Jimmy Aiken is going to come out with nine or twelve things that I should really pay attention to in this specific issue and be level-headed and exceptionally fair. Uh, and so I'm just thrilled to have you here today to talk about this well, very important issue.
1: Well, thank you. You're much too kind.
0: Uh, we're we're going to start by talking about the Catholic theology of marriage before we get into the annulment process, because the annulment process is really something that comes out of how strongly we believe about marriage. You know, most of the time we have people who, uh, who hear that we believe marriage is indissoluble and they uh, maybe think we're being a little bit too extreme or uh, maybe not in touch with reality. Uh, but that's the very purpose we have, the annulment process is because our standard is so high, we don't want to prevent people who haven't actually entered into a valid marriage uh, from from being able to approach a valid marriage in their future. So let, let's talk just a little bit about the, the mm-hmm. doctrine of the indissolubility of marriage. Where does that come from, and, and what's the history of the Church holding that view? Well,
1: uh, it, it comes from our Lord Jesus Christ himself. If you read the Gospels, uh, if you read specifically uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those Gospels contain uh, the teachings of Jesus on marriage and divorce, and he himself indicates that marriage is not dissoluble. Uh, If you look, for example, in Mark chapter 10, um, when the Pharisees question him uh, about under what circumstances is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, uh, he he says, well, Moses let you divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But that's not the way it was from the beginning. God made Adam and Eve. He didn't make Adam and Eve and Barbara so that if Eve didn't work out, Adam could marry someone else. And um, so it was God's intention to have marriage be a lifelong commitment between the spouses. And so Jesus says uh, in verses 10 and 11 – I'm sorry. In verses 11 and 12 of Mark chapter 10, that if a man divorces his wife, he causes her to commit adultery. Causes her to commit adultery, mm-hmm. because she, in their society, if you got divorced, you were expected to marry somebody else. And similarly, he says if a woman divorces her husband, uh, she commits adultery against him. So you have. Uh, regardless of who initiates the divorce, they're not really separated in God's eyes. They may be separated in man's eyes, but um, but they're still actually married to each other, and so for them to enter new marriages would be to commit adultery. Right. And and not just one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's living in an ongoing state of adultery, right. and that's something that's made clearer in the Greek text, uh, where the present tense is used for commit adultery, and in Greek, the present tense tends to indicate an ongoing state of affairs rather than just a one-time thing. And so this is very serious, and it's not just in the Gospels. It's also presented elsewhere. For example, if you look in Romans chapter 7, Paul says the same thing. And uh, so this is something that's been part of the Christian understanding of marriage right from the beginning. And consequently, if someone has obtained a civil divorce, meaning a divorce uh, under the laws of the state, and the church understands that there can be reasons to do that, Mm -hmm. uh, but if someone has done that, and they want to marry again, then the church needs to look at that first marriage and say, okay, was this really a, a valid marriage, in which case the parties are still bound to each other, or was there something that, uh, that was wrong with the situation from the beginning, that kept it from becoming a valid marriage in the first place, so, and that's something that's also hinted at in Scripture. If you look in Matthew's Gospel, when he presents Jesus's teaching on annulment I'm sorry, on divorce and remarriage—he um, he notes that there are some potential exceptions, and biblical scholars have discussed what. The language that's used in Matthew refers to, right. but in any event, it uh, it indicates that there are some exceptions that seem to be for illicit marriages, marriages that that uh, that were contrary to the law of Moses mm-hmm. at the time, and that brings up the idea of invalid marriages. Um, and for example, uh, even today, people would acknowledge. Uh, certainly in the in Orthodox Catholics would acknowledge that two men can't get married Right. or you can't marry your sister <laughs> right. or things like that. And, and consequently any such attempted marriage would not be valid. And so you would actually be free if you had attempted such a marriage, you would actually be free to marry somebody else because you're not really married to this person. Right. And uh, so that's the basis of the church looking at a marriage and saying, okay, that original marriage was not valid, it was null, mm-hmm. so we can issue a decree of nullity or an annulment, which establishes that because it wasn't valid, you are actually free to marry someone else. Right.
0: Now, let's talk just a little bit, you know, I, I was a Protestant before, as, as were you. And I've often heard people use that Matthew passage to excuse a, a wide array of, of behavior after the marriage took place. They'll talk about, except yeah. in cases of unfaithfulness or except in cases of, you know, the, the word there uh, in the Greek, of course, is porneia, which is often mm-hmm. translated unchastity. Of course, the, the NAB translates it unlawfulness. Let's talk about uh, why it, it needs to be, why behavior after the marriage really is unimportant. Uh, when looking at whether a marriage is valid or not?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, um, as, as you know, this, this term porneia gets translated different ways. Sometimes you'll have people translate it as adultery, or they'll argue that it equals adultery committed after the marriage. Uh, there are two problems with that. Number one, the, 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 it's not the normal Greek word for adultery. Right. Uh, the normal Greek word for adultery is moicheia. And this is a different word, so that suggests it, it means something different. Uh, the other problem is if it did refer to, um, to adultery or any other kind of sexual sin, um, mm-hmm. then you could get around Jesus' teaching that to divorce and remarry equals adultery simply by committing adultery first. Right. And, and, and then you then you, once you've committed adultery, all of a sudden your marriage becomes dissoluble. You can get a divorce and remarry someone else, and it won't be adultery. Right. And, and that obviously, you know, that's a reductio ad absurdum. It makes our Lord's teaching absurd if the way to, to avoid committing adultery is to commit adultery.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in the Catholic Church, we view marriage as a sacrament— Uh, And we view it as a sacrament that's actually ministered by the couple themselves. And this is where the disposition to marriage, the disposition towards receiving that sacrament, becomes so important and why it matters that we're looking at what happened at the beginning. Was that husband? Was that wife? Were they in a place where they were disposed uh, in and of themselves to administer that sacrament? And so, what are we've got? Just a couple of minutes here, real briefly. What are some of those requirements that we expect of people when we're looking at a marriage and saying, "Is this marriage valid? Is it not?" What are the things that we're generally looking for?
1: Well, uh, one of the things is a recognition that uh, I mean, is a basic is a basic recognition of what marriage actually is and the way the uh, the way the church defines marriage. It's a partnership. Of the whole of life, so it's an intimate union that involves every aspect of life right. uh, that is oriented towards the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. And so, if you if you if you are rejecting that kind of union uh, at the time you're getting married, then you, then you wouldn't actually be getting married. You'd be playing games with words, right? Uh, and so you might say, "I'm marrying someone," but you're not really doing it if that's not the kind of union you're agreeing to.
0: So, for instance, uh, we believe that marriage is indissoluble; that you can't there there is no back door out. And so, for someone who would have a prenuptial agreement, well, that's predicated on the idea that if this does go south, here's the the stipulations. And so that automatically shows that that person is not in it for the whole of life.
1: Not necessarily. Okay. Um, in the case of a prenuptial agreement, I mean, those deal with the disposition of like
0: uh,
1: finances and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there can be reasons to obtain a civil divorce. Right. So, a, uh, so a prenup is not automatically assigned that someone uh, isn't accepting this. I mean, if you let's say you have millionaire X marry Joe Schmo, mm-hmm. and Joe Schmo's family has a history of, of mental illness, and so millionaire X wants to preserve her fortune for her, for her descendants and doesn't want the guy with the history of mental illness, if it ever manifests. To be able to just seize half of half of her estate and take right. it away from from her relatives, so um, even though she may say, "Okay, I'm marrying this guy," even if he goes crazy that won't allow me to marry someone else i'm going to be faithful Mm -hmm. but if he does go crazy then i may have reason to get a civil divorce and i therefore want to protect uh my estate for my family in that eventuality god forbid should it ever happen so a prenup is not automatically a sign of nullity however the fact that someone is is setting up such an agreement can be an indication that they may not uh, understand the indissolubility of marriage, but more than that would have to be established to show that for a fact.
0: Okay. Well, th- obviously, this is a very nuanced topic. Why don't you join us in that conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Today, we're talking with Jimmy Aiken about the indissolubility of marriage, about the annulment process, and about the new motu proprio that Pope Francis put out this last week. Governing that process. Lots more to talk about. Stick around. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy (laughs) Putnam. back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you stuck through the break. We're talking today with Jimmy Aiken, Senior Apologist at Catholic Answers, about the indissolubility of marriage, the annulment process, and the new motu proprio put out by Pope Francis this last week, governing or expediting the annulment process uh, in certain cases. So, Jimmy, thank you again for being on the show today. My pleasure. So, in this last segment, we talked some about uh, what it means for marriage to be indissoluble and, and some of the, the nuances around that. Let's take some time now, and, and we've got a, a couple who uh, they were married civilly. They maybe even were married in the church, uh, and then they're married for any length of time as, as everyone around them would look at what they have, and they would say, yes, this is a marriage. They're, they're together. They have children. Uh, and then something goes wrong, and we don't know what. Uh, and a divorce happens. And of course, nobody wants divorce. It's a painful, uh, difficult scenario for everyone involved. But here they are, and they've been divorced for a an, uh, an certain amount of time. And at one point in time, someone says, you know, I really would like to be married again. Uh, but I know that the church says marriage is indissoluble. And so they come to the church, they, they come to the tribunal, which is a, already a scary word. Um, and they look at uh, what generally in the United States is between uh, a, a year to 18 months, a uh, long process of canon lawyers looking at that marriage, telling, and they're going to tell you whether or not you had uh, a marriage that was invalid or whether they, it can't be told one way or the other. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that process and about the purposes of that process.
1: Okay. Um, well, basically, as we covered uh, in the first segment, the purpose of the process is to look at a marriage and see was it valid or not, and or at least can we prove that it was not valid? Right. Because if we can prove that it was not valid, then that means that this, these two people are not actually married to each other. And consequently, they would be free in principle to marry somebody else unless something else intervenes. Right. And, um, and so the church uh, looks at the situation. It gathers evidence. Uh, and if the evidence indicates that this, in fact, was not a valid marriage from the very beginning, that at the time of the wedding – something was wrong with the situation of a grave nature that prevented the marriage from coming into existence, then the church can issue what's known as a declaration of nullity or more popularly known as an annulment. They're the same thing. Uh, how long that takes depends. Uh, and under under current canon law, uh, there are basically two types of processes that are used in, uh, in, in, pursuing an annulment. The first one is what's known as the documentary process. And okay. it actually can be very quick um, because certain types of marriages are easy to show invalid simply by presenting some, some documents. Okay. Uh, like, for example, one of the things that all Catholics are bound to is to either get married in the Catholic Church or, or to get a dispensation so that they can marry outside of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. This is the equivalent of kind of observing your state's laws of matrimony. If you're a citizen of a particular state, like Kansas or Oklahoma, then you need to observe the laws regulating matrimony in Kansas and Oklahoma. Similarly, if you're a Catholic, then you need to observe the laws of the Catholic Church regarding marriage, right. and, or you need to get a dispensation or special permission to, to not do that. And so if you have a situation where a Catholic has not gotten married in the Catholic Church, and they've just, say, gone down to the city courthouse, um, in that situation, um, they didn't observe the laws of the Church, and they didn't observe them in a way that would block that marriage from coming into existence. So in that situation showing the nullity of the marriage would be very easy because all you have to do is show this person was a Catholic. Here's their baptismal certificate, and they got married outside of the church. Here's their courthouse certificate, and they didn't have a dispensation. You can check the bishop's records for that, right. and therefore their marriage wasn't valid. So um, so in that case, it's just a matter of presenting a few documents, and so that can go very quickly, and that's what's known as the documentary process. The other current process is what's known as the formal process. And in that case, it's it involves gathering and weighing evidence that's much more subtle. And for example, interviewing people and taking their testimony and saying, okay, what was this person's understanding of marriage at the time they got married? What did they tell you about how they understood marriage and what they were planning? Were they, for example, did they ever say anything like, I'm never going to have kids, right? you know, or I, I, I refuse to have children. Even if, even if I get pregnant, I'm going to have an abortion or I'm going to insist that my wife have an abortion. Um, if, they, if they said things like that, then it could indicate that at the time of the marriage, they weren't actually agreeing to what the Church understands marriage to be. And so uh, it, because, it, uh, because it involves gathering this kind of testimony and carefully weighing and evaluating it, it takes longer. And it can typically in the United States uh, take a year. To get to a basic decision, and then the way the law currently is written, if that first court concludes that the marriage was invalid, it automatically appeals it to a second court as a kind of safety measure. And that, takes another six months typically. And so typically here in America, from the time all the paperwork is filed and all the evidence is gathered, it can take 18 months. Mm -hmm. In other parts of the world, it can take much longer. And in fact, in some places in the world, like in some African countries, they don't even have marriage tribunals set up. And so it's it's much more difficult to get annulments elsewhere in the world simply because the courts either function much more slowly or don't even exist.
0: Right. Now, we're, we're talking about uh, the, the indissolubility of marriage. We're talking about the annulment process. Uh, and, and we have these people who um, they're, they're looking uh, to, to go to the tribunal to get an annulment. And we have some people who hear annulment and, and they say, oh, well, the, the tribunal is looking to see if the marriage was sacramental or not. Uh, and, no. And that's a common misconception that I'd like you to address.
1: Okay, the church's uh, understanding of the sacrament of marriage is that marriage is sacramental always if the two parties are validly baptized. So it doesn't matter if you're Catholic, doesn't matter if you're non-Catholic, if you have a valid marriage and you're baptized and your spouse is baptized, you are in a sacramental marriage. And uh, and so any marriage between two Christians, between two baptized people is going to be sacramental. Um, And in fact, if, let's say, one of you was not baptized, let's say you have a a Christian girl who marries a a man who has no religion, and then at some later point he decides to get baptized, at that moment, once the two of them are baptized, their marriage automatically elevates to become a sacramental one. So there there simply is no other kind of marriage between two Christians other than a sacramental one. And so, consequently, the Church isn't looking uh, to say, is the marriage sacramental? It's looking to say, is it valid? Was it a real marriage?
0: So we've got just a little bit of time left. Let's take some time and talk about what has this new motu proprio changed? How is the process now going to be different because of what Pope Francis released?
1: Well, um, there he made a number of changes, and some of them are of a lesser nature and are uh, on some rather technical points. But two of the big ones are these. Uh, The first one is he eliminated the automatic appeal. Uh Um, So now, if a if a single court determines that a marriage was null, it can be appealed if uh, if one of the parties thinks that that they're not confident in in the first court's decree they can appeal it and have a second court look at it but um but that's not automatic anymore and so that will make it somewhat uh take less time Mm -hmm. to get uh to get an annulment in many cases um uh, the other major change is he created a third process in addition to the documentary process where it's absolutely clear from the documents themselves that a marriage was null. And in addition to the formal process where you have a, a lot of evidence that requires careful consideration, he's now created a kind of middle process that's referred to as the shorter process. And in this one, um, it's designed to deal with cases that are, that require more than just the documents, mm-hmm. but the fact pattern is still really clear. And so you don't need to do the full formal process. Um, it's, it's, it's for situations where it's really clear right from the beginning that there was something wrong with this marriage that could prevent it from, uh, from being valid. And so there, it's kind of an expedited process that the bishop himself is involved
0: in great. Now, if you want to know more information about that, you can find it at Jimmy Aiken's website, JimmyAkin.com. We'll also post a link to the nine things you should know uh, regarding this. That's a blog post that Jimmy did here recently. We'll put that on our social media. You can find it over at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. Mm-hmm. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. And when we come back from this break, we've got another giveaway. We're going to give away Jimmy Akin's wonderful book, The Fathers Know Best, which takes some of the most uh, controversial topics that people have about the Catholic Church and looks at them through the lens of the Church Fathers. It's a great book. I can't wait to put it in your hands. We've got a trivia question for you right after the break. And all you've got to do is give me a call. 918-928-KPIM and we will get that to you free of charge all yours we'll be right back after this break you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam thanks for sticking through the break we're talking today about the indissolubility of marriage, about the annulment process, and about the new proprio that affects that annulment process. We have as our guest, Jimmy Aiken, Senior Apologist at Catholic Answers. Jimmy, thanks for being on the show again today. It's my pleasure. So what we're going to do now is we're going to give away your book, The Father's Know Best. Uh, I've got a copy that I've just had sitting around here just waiting for the appropriate opportunity. And what better time to give it away than when you are here right with us. Uh, awesome. And, and so we're going to ask you to give us a trivia question. It's going to have some really strong keywords in it so that you that are listening, uh, you can type it into Google furiously. You can find the uh, the source that he's going to mention uh, most likely on the Vatican website and do a quick search. And you'll be able to find the answer without too much trouble. But it will also introduce you to a document that maybe you haven't looked at before. Uh, So what you're going to do is when he gives the question, you're going to rush to your phone, and you're going to dial in 918-928-KPIM, that's 918-928-5746, and you're going to give us that call, let me know the answer to that question, and uh, I'll send you this book. Great book, really nice, uh, detailed, lots of information about uh, what the church believes on a number of issues as seen through the eyes of the church fathers. So, Jimmy, why don't you give us that question?
1: Okay, so in light of the topic we're talking about today, the question is, what are the essential properties of marriage? And this is something that is spelled out in the Code of Canon Law, if you look on this, in the section on marriage between uh, Canon 1055 and Canon 1062, you'll find the answer right in there, what are the essential properties of marriage?
0: Excellent. What are the essential properties of marriage? Give me a call, 918-928-KPIM, 918-928-5746. Let me know that answer, and we'll get that book right out to you. Jimmy, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today, and I look forward to doing this hopefully again in the future. Sounds great. My pleasure. You know, Jimmy brought up something very interesting at the end of our first segment together uh, that I think is worth us taking a look at again. Ed Peters is a canonist, a canon lawyer, a professor at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit, and also uh, is an advisor to the Vatican on matters of canon law. And as he looked at this motu proprio, he he had one thought, and that was, or, or rather, he had several thoughts, but one thought I want to take a look at. Uh, he said that. This expedited uh, course of action that that uh, Pope Francis made available through the motu proprio uh, could be misleading. Not to it, it's it's certainly true. The things that he said are good and they're right and they don't change the doctrine of marriage at all. Uh, but one of the things that's in there is it talks about an expedited process for a certain variety of reasons. And in our first segment together, Jimmy Aiken, we when we were talking about uh, the. Uh, the prenuptial agreement, he mentioned that that in and of itself may point to something that was uh, un, uh, an, an improper view of marriage at the beginning, but by itself it doesn't prove it. It doesn't prove that there was an improper understanding of marriage. And what Ed Peters was concerned about and what I think we would be wise to look at is um, is what, some people may see these reasons that are given as expedited reasons for annulment and question the validity of their own marriage and say, "Oh well, gosh, we were married and we were married under these circumstances, and therefore, uh, maybe maybe our marriage isn't valid, and maybe we should be concerned about that." And I would say that unless, and I want to encourage you and assure you, that unless you're falling under one of those circumstances where you got married outside of the church without a dispensation, uh, that you shouldn't worry about whether or not your marriage is considered valid. We always presume uh, that anyone who is free to marry that the marriage was valid. Uh, and so if you're in one of those situations, maybe, um, maybe you got married after your first child was born or maybe you had a prenuptial agreement or, or anything along those lines, that's not something that you should be fretting over and worrying about. Uh, we only look at the validity of marriages when those are brought to us, right? Now, of course, if you were not free to marry and you got married, that's another question entirely. But if you were free to marry and you and your spouse in good faith came forward and did everything that you could because you wanted to get married and you're in a good relationship right now, you, you shouldn't be questioning. Even if you're in a difficult relationship right now, you, you shouldn't be questioning, well, maybe maybe my marriage isn't valid after all. We always presume that the marriage is valid. Uh, And a tribunal will never tell you, your marriage is valid, right? What they can do is say, we can't definitively say that the marriage is invalid. Uh, And so, or in the case of an annulment, we can definitively say that the marriage is invalid. Uh, And so I want to encourage you Uh, If you're dealing with struggles in your marriage, if you maybe have had a loss of communication, if there's something that you feel isn't quite right in your marriage, I want to encourage you to seek help. Uh, A couple of ways you can do that. One, there's a wonderful program uh, called Retrovi. Uh, It's a very difficult word to to spell because it's a a French-Canadian word, but you can get to it by going to helpourmarriage.com. And the Retrovibe program, it's a weekend retreat uh, with several post sessions where you can get the tools that you need, have time away to reconnect with your spouse on a very deep and intimate level. The thing about uh, about affection is that it it can be cultivated. It can be renewed and restored. And if you feel like you're in a dry spot or you feel like uh, you have fallen out of love, as our society puts it, there is still hope. So I encourage you to go to helpourmarriage.com and see about a retrovite near you. Now, if you don't feel like you're in that kind of a place where you you have all that much trouble, maybe you just hit a dry spot. Well, the USCCB has a great website called foryourmarriage.org for your org, some great articles great uh things that are there uh, some examinations of conscience for married couples some parenting tips some ideas for uh, how to integrate your faith into your family i just really encourage you to take a look at that and see uh how you can make a good marriage even better. That's all the time we have for today. Join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Next week, we're going to be talking with Sam Roca about immigration. Great topic. Outside the walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming and podcast.